welcome to the Edition Podcast. I'm your host, Charlotte Henry, and I'm starting something of a mini-series because we've made it to December 2022. Don't ask me how, but we're here. The Christmas decorations are going up, the mince pies are out, and it's December 2022. And I kind of want to look ahead to 2023 and all the different things that could possibly happen there in the world of media and tech and digital media advertising, all the things we talk about every week on this show. And I could think of no better person to kick off this little series than Brian Morrissey. How are you, Brian? Good. I'm. Uh, I, there's no mince pies uh, here, uh, but oh, you Americans is, are those? It, no, they the don't meat? have meat. No, they don't what, have. They don't meat, have Brian. meat. No, I thought Brian. it was minced meat. No, they're Brian. vegetarian. Really, I had no they're idea. They're fruit. They're sweet. Oh my. Oh really? Oh my goodness. Jesus. Can we edit this out? No, I'm sending you mince pies instead. That's what's going to happen. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. I'm a Philistine. Philistine American. You are, but at least we can talk about soccer later. We can do that. Um, Yes. All right. No, I'm happy to be here. Good. I'm pleased to hear you write the rebooting, uh, which is a great media newsletter. You uh, have multiple podcasts now, don't you? I do. I do two podcasts. One is the rebooting show and the other is one I do with um, Troy Young and Alex Schleifer. It's called uh, People Versus Algorithms. It's a little bit more like culture-y and um, it's about tech and patterns and media and stuff, Um, but it's less like hardcore business. Nice. So you can check out those. I'll obviously link to them in the show notes. But as I say, I want to crack into uh, this idea of looking ahead to 2023 and let's do it. Let's do it. Come on, we're going to make <laughs> predictions. You're going to come back at the end of 2023 and we're going to discuss the many ways in which we were wrong. Oh, God. I know. Um, I've never made a correct prediction, by the way, just so you know. Um, but well, the, yeah. pro- the thing is, like, you can't put a time frame on it. So no. any predictions I make, I'm not going to put a time frame on it okay. because then I'll just be like, well, it's going to happen. Okay. I think the one thing <laughs> we can be relatively, unfortunately, confident on we don't know the extent, but I think we can be relatively confident that unfortunately there's going to be a bit of a bumpy economic road ahead as we head into 2023. Yeah, there's a lot of like uh, warning flashing signs, but they've been flashing for like a good six months. So we can't say that we're um, going to be surprised by no, exactly. <laughs> any economic downturn. Anyone who's going to come out and be like, I can't believe this. Like what happened? Um, cannot do that. But it's pretty clear. And I think we're seeing with the pullbacks that happened here starting in the tech industry, um, which was sort of defined by artificial growth really during the pandemic. Artificial in the sense of there were trends happening that people extrapolated into in perpetuity. Um, and you heard a lot of that. Like on e-commerce, you said, oh, we we fast forwarded 20 years in development and all this stuff. And it turns out that that wasn't actually the case. Um, yeah, it turns out when people can't leave their homes and can only be on their phones and TVs and computers, that's how they spend their time and money. I I, like in, in New York, like it's impossible to get into a restaurant or anything like that. And I remember a year ago, it was like, you know, oh, New York is dead. It's like empty. It's like, nah, not, not, not so much. Um, can I just say, I'm so pleased to hear that. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. The idea when you were last on the show or maybe the time before you sort of told me about, I think you New York was sort of coming back alive last time you were on the show. And then I was re- sort of pleased to hear that. I'm pleased to hear it's continued into the yes. winter because New York is one of my favorite it places is. on earth. Oh, so. good. It's good. It's a really unusual place. Um, That's why I like it. <laughs> it took moving away from here to realize how unusual it is. 
I, and I think like during the pandemic, we also saw that, um, you know, there was an era of like easy money for lack of a better word. And, and the, the rock bottom interest rates, um, caused a lot of bubbles to ex- exist across the economy. And they were exacerbated during the pandemic as governments poured tons of money into the economy in various ways. And, yep. you know, that's going to lead to a reality check. And, and we're seeing that in the tech industry and it's, and it's unfortunately starting to go down to um, the media industry because, you know, media is very tied to the business cycle. It is not counter cyclical. It is very cyclical and advertising is easy relatively speaking to turn on and off and it's grown even more easier with programmatic and so that is a reality that's going to happen and so that's why we're seeing layoffs um across all sorts of different publications that'll continue well we, we're seeing some publications shut down unfortunately we'll see more of that um and it's going to be a little bit of a time of hunkering down um but downturns are always um a great a great time to to start new things so we'll see that too thank you that, that i was about to get depressed but you've made me feel a bit better because there's been a couple of well we've seen huge swathes of layout i mean the last latest one is a bit of a, a huge reshuffle at cnn a lot of yeah. stuff going on there um we've seen things like protocol have to shut down which was a great niche specialist tech publication which i found really sad because that was a wonderful publication and yeah it, it is hard out there but um, and the recount, the recount here did also, um, you know, shuddered. Um, yeah, all, all this stuff with talented people trying to make something. It's it's sad. It's difficult. And I think you're right that whenever things are tough, the easiest thing to do is turn off advertising. It's easier to stop your advertising than fire people, right? It's cheaper as well. Yeah, and you don't want to. I mean, look, we're we're coming out of. It's so funny how like um, how quickly things swing. In, in our capitalist system and that like we went from like oh we can't get any goods there's shortages there are all these like uh ships like that are stranded 20 miles off like the coast of la and like um and now all of a sudden it's it's all surpluses before yeah. you couldn't find people and then all of a sudden it's like we're laying people off we have to worry about unemployment and that's the reality of it but i think you know for companies you don't want to the last thing you want to do is cut people um, and then like the the economy rebounds and you're not able to get them back. I think the pandemic taught a lot of businesses that that lesson and it was a needed lesson in resilience. But the 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 problem ends up being that, um, you know, you can become bloated then. And I think, you know, the tech industry is very particular. But, you know, what is happening right now at Twitter um, is going to be watched very, very closely by a lot of the CEOs and particularly the CFOs because... Um, if you, you keep know, your show on the road with a lot less people. Well, I mean, like, this is an extreme case, but I mean, this this is this company has been shrunken incredibly and, you know, the service is continuing, like, and... As we um, speak, as we speak, Twitter is still working fine. And, you know, look, I, I have my own theory about like a lot of the tech companies. So I think it's very particular. I, I think that they have been incredibly overstaffed for um, a bunch of particular reasons. In particular, be, they want to sort of hand wave away the fact that much of their gargantuan profits are made because they have dominant positions in their industry and squelch competition. And so... Yeah, that's why they have way more people than they really need to operate a lot of these um, mm-hmm. services. And now all of a sudden, they're 
cutting all these people, yet they're continuing just fine. So I think but no, there, it, there was a lot of there was a lot of talent hoarding going on, particularly with engineering engineers mm -hmm. and developers. Um, but I think that they were overstaffed by design. That might well be right. It, everything is sort of, you know, Meta laid off a huge number of people and all those services are still working basically fine. Twitter is the, you know, the example everyone is obsessed with, but, you know, had a lot less people is, a, well, you know, com comparatively a much smaller service and a much smaller company than the likes of Meta. Yeah, I mean, this is like, we're, we're, I think 2023 might be the era where like, you know, it's like we're all private equity people now. And <laughs> oh, I think every, Imagine you know, that. well, it, it's just, um, I think sometimes, it's, and it's going to be difficult for for people earlier in their careers who haven't been through um, uh, recessions and like, you know, those of us who went through the the financial crisis know it's pretty gruesome. I mean, that one lasted a really long time, but it's it's pretty gross. And like um, that that unfortunately is going to happen. I'm not like celebrating or anything like that. No. But you know, it, I, I wish like I had like my early part of my career during this kind of like boom times that we were in. But like that's not reality. No, it's not. And we. I'm interested how this kind of links back to media because we all know the reality. First of all, you're right to say that media is not countercyclical. It has to play along with everything else because people have more money to spend on media when things are good. Companies have more money to advertise with media outlets when times are good. People are, you know, don't worry about the, the cost of a subscription so much when things are good. It's a very easy thing to cut when it's not. Times are not good. How do you think the kind of financial pressures will play out on the media industry specifically you know i think it's it, it, i guess on two levels one is just the same for like any business right mm -hmm. like when you move from a growth mode to a um you know focus on the bottom line mode you're going to end up emphasizing efficiency and productivity and mm -hmm. And we're seeing this across all, all companies need to get more efficient and more productive. And, you know, downturns are also a time that any company looks to correct mistakes that they made. Right. And because it's a cover to do so, you can you can claim if you if you started some project that isn't going anywhere, this is the perfect time to. Um, We'd to love to it. have kept it going, but, you know. Yeah, you can blame the I mean, economic look, circumstances just don't allow for it. People love to blame external forces for sure. internal um, issues. And, you know, I think one of the things is you can't kick the can down the road when times are tough. I think one of the hard parts of of this like hyper growth time is a lot of times people like we all like to like lie to ourselves, right? And like I, I talked to, I was doing like a bunch of, like I, I talked with everyone was up and to the right. And it's like, well, and they all thought it was because they're doing a great job. And like, it's like, well, is everyone like, why, why is ever if you were like growing at a certain level and then all of a sudden you're growing at like 15%, like, and then your peers are also like doing that. That's not because you're doing a great job exactly. I mean, I'm sure you are executing well, but that's because of what's going on in the broader economy and the broader mm -hmm. market. And so I think the problem ends up being when you when you when you staff against that and you plan against that, and this is just a normal human tendency, is when times are going well, 
you you extrapolate that out five, 10, 15 years. And 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 we always see that in all the forecasts, right? Like yeah. the, for, the growth forecast never, they're they're complete they act as if business cycles don't exist. And it's yeah. like, oh no, no, it's gonna keep going as it is now, like continually in the next until like, until years. they have to do another statement saying things have turned around a bit. But there are opportunities in difficult financial times as well, particularly maybe yeah. for smaller, more dynamic companies and pub. Yeah. In, you know, in the industry we work in, I mean, small, smaller yeah. dynamic well, publishers. Look, the the biggest advantage you have heading into um, a downturn is a low cost base, and I think that is the that's going to be a great advantage uh, for people that that haven't like sort of overstaffed and and by its nature small enterprises are more productive and more efficient. Uh, you have no choice, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, as you grow as you grow a company, you end up having like needs that you have to hire ahead of, you know, needing someone full time, but you end up hiring anyway. And so your cost base in some ways can get out of whack. And unfortunately, I think some publishers are going to find that their cost bases got out of whack. And that's what we're, that's what you're seeing at places like CNN and stuff like this. Like the numbers simply don't add up. Um, and that's going to cause, you know, the people that didn't, you know, have that luxury during these boom times are going to be, you know, better positioned because they have a low mm. cost base. Yeah. You're sort of already slightly somewhat resilient to it. And also, I guess, it gives you an opportunity to start things and experiment with things sometimes as well. Sometimes, but also like, I think you'll see people pull back from a lot of, you know, uh, non-revenue generating and mm. non-margin generating projects. Um, there's lots of stuff that... Um, but in a way, that's a good thing, because again, it's your your point about yeah. not being excess, focusing on the core products that people really like and making those as good as possible. Yeah, I mean, it's clarifying. I mean, these kind of downturns are, are always clarifying. It flushes out a lot of like nonsense from markets. So, you know, the the stuff that's going on in crypto right now is oh, don't, necessary. No. Well, yeah, crypto well, is banned I mean, from this show. Well, I mean, you can like, you know, you can argue whether crypto is nonsense or not, but like the reality is even People if it is like a real thing, there the um there was clearly like a ton of excess. I mean, I, I lived in Miami for a couple of years. I can attest that like, there's a lot of excess. And you saw it in real life. Um yeah, and the, this it needs to be flushed out of the system. I mean, look, publishing is different. Like it's mm -hmm. this, this is not an industry, at least in the last like twenty plus years. That has been defined by excess like no those fun um, days have sadly gone the excess days have sadly gone i mean so that, i think that's the good part about some kind of downturn where other like you know sectors that aren't used to like tough times whereas like with with publishing it's like oh yeah layoffs again okay we're kind of used to these cycles yeah. yeah yeah it's true lots of lots of journalist stories i hear often start or oh, you know how did the thing how did you end up in the place you were well, because I got laid off from two other places first. Well, that is the thing. I mean, if when you get into this profession, like, you know, you, you've got, you know, everyone has their first layoff, right? I mean, like, <laughs> it's, it's a kind of bizarre um, profession and that like, I, I don't know so many ways. who hasn't lost their job at least once in their career if they go along uh, long enough in it and don't like drop out and go into PR. Well, before we continue looking ahead to 2023, I want to tell you about another podcast, one I used to appear on quite regularly, Daily Observations from the Mac Observer. Do you follow Apple News? Do you listen to podcasts? There's a podcast all about Apple News that we'd like you to check out. 
It's the Mac Observer's Daily Observations podcast. When they say daily, they mean it. Mostly. Monday through Friday, TDO hits you with 20 minutes of talk on the most interesting Apple stories going. Since 2014, the Daily Observations has been talking Apple news of the day, on the day. That's the announcement of Apple Watch, the free U2 album nobody wanted, the announcement of Apple TV+, the transition to Apple Silicon, and so much more. Ripped from the virtual pages of MacObserver.com, host Ken Ray brings in TMO staffers and other tech types for quick, informative and entertaining talk centred on the stories of the day. If you follow Apple News and you listen to podcasts, put this in your ears. The Mac Observer's Daily Observations podcast, online at MacObserver.com or wherever you get your podcasts. One thing you've talked about and written about a lot, and I've always been interested in you talking about this is this idea of a rebundling where you think where you know we you and i both use substack and mm. love being able to produce a thing on our own and you know you can it's a relatively small payment um 35 pounds just for the year if you want to do a paid subscription to the edition please do thank you so much yeah. um uh, but you know relatively small amounts of money for a product but of course there's only so many of those relatively small costs that people are going to take on and actually mm-hmm. we've seen this in streaming as well where some of the smaller services have had to team up with bigger services to keep going and i think that's only going to here's my prediction some of those um streaming bundles where you get one service maybe with your linear tv provider or something like that are, are gonna have to keep happening aren't they because people are not going to sign up for endless streaming services endless you know reduced cost magazine subscriptions endless substack subscriptions this people are going to have to come together to find ways to offer value on a wider scale aren't they yeah i mean it's kind of like what it is is like an apocryphal churchill quote that he said like democracy is like the best choice of a bunch of bad choices and like yeah. or it's a, so, it's it's a good choice compared like, to all the alternatives yeah. um I think bundles are the same way, right? Like everyone loves to hate on the the bundle until like they see the alternatives um, because, and you know, it, it, it runs in a cycle where initially and, and take like um, cable TV, at least here. And it's a little bit different dynamic there, I know, but like, you know, everyone hated having to pay for the cable bundle when ESPN was causing it to be super expensive and they didn't like sports say. Um, sure. And say, oh my God, I just want to pay for, you know, uh, this and that. And then it's like, okay, well, you're going to be able to do that now. And it's like, oh, great. You did it. And the initial, it was like amazing. It was like, oh, wow. I'm now my cable bill was $75 and now I'm, I'm spending like only like $25. I'm getting the stuff I want when I want it. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, pretty soon, like it became like you had like 15 different subscriptions yeah. and the costs of it were, were higher than we had before. And you have to hunt around when where anything is. You don't even know it. And so at some point it doesn't work. Right. And I, I wrote recently about like micropayments and like yep. micropayments is, is the it's the idea that makes sense to, to everyone, like um, just intuitively. It's like, why do I need a subscription when I I should just be able to buy this 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 thing I want. Like, yeah, I, I want to pay ninety nine cents to read this article. Yeah, I do. And the problem is, it doesn't work for public. But I don't. I don't want a subscription <laughs> to the whole publication. I want to pay ninety nine yeah. cents for this. But 
That's and 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 so you're seeing you will end up seeing you know these bundles because bundles end up working better for for all sides um, and it works better for the, the the publisher or the creator and it works better for consumers and, and so I think we'll end up seeing that I, I my hope is the bundle the rebundling will be done in in a much smarter way than the the, the previous bundles. Um, but it's so, inevitable. You can't, you can't, you can't chop up everything and like sell it individually. What, what do you mean by, how do you mean smart, smarter than before? What, what kind of thing are you envisioning? Well, I mean, I think that like before I, it, like I, I compare it to kind of like subscriptions. Like when, when subscriptions started, really, it was paywalls. It was just like, mm-hmm. take it or leave it. There's one paywall. And then you started to get meters and you get dynamic paywalls and you get freemium and you get like a lot. If you think about the subscription market now versus like 10 plus years ago, it's much more sophisticated and um, and smarter. And I think you'll end up seeing that in in the rebundling, you know, from a big publisher standpoint, like you have to end up going at least here to the New York times and like the way they're rebundling their different um, subscription products is it gives people a lot more choice. Right. But it, it, it also has a lot more convenience um, versus just a strict paywall. Um, so, and where... so we'll end up seeing that like with, 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 with the substacks, with different newsletters. Um, yeah, that's because... what I was inevitably going to ask you. Where do you think a product, well, a platform like Substack sits in that world? Because it was meant to be the antithesis to that world, wasn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess my one like sort of prediction, and again, I won't put like a time frame on it, is, you know, Substack is going to inevitably, I believe, offer some kind of bundled, all-in-one subscription um oh really they, like pay 99 dollars for the year and read every substack you want well it'll give you it'll i don't think it'll give you they don't want to create channel conflict right and i think that's the problem with with micropayments and because you have some third-party provider who who is going to create channel conflict like why why subscribe to bloomberg if you can like you know subscribe to this other service and get like three bloomberg stories a month that mm-hmm. you want um, and Bloomberg doesn't want to do that because Bloomberg charges a lot of money for their content. Sure. Um, I think Substack will end up having a, they clearly want to have a direct relationship with um, with readers, consumers, the audience and stuff like this. And so I, I love the people at Substack. I think it's like an amazing service what they've done, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. At the same time, I don't believe their thing that like, you know, you are always in control because it's not true. Um, you know, they you regularly, mean? well, they regularly communicate with your audience, whether you want them to or not. Like, um, that it's just a trade-off of using a platform and they're a platform and that's the, the end yeah. of, of the story. Obviously on the consumer side with all of these paid sub stacks, you could imagine paying $99 and you get access to a certain amount of, you know, Substack content um, over the course of a month, right? And I'm sure it'll be opt-in for subscribers. It can be presented or for for publishers, writers, if you will. And it'll be presented as a way to um, introduce people uh, to the paywalled content in order to get them to subscribe. Because, look, 
everything comes down to even the best sub stacks, you know, they, they convert five to 10%. You've got 90% of people who did not convert. Now, Substack. You mean five not, to ten, only five to ten percent of anyone's free subscriber list will then turn over their yes. bank details? Yes, there are there are instances where people convert above that, but the the general rule of thumb is five, five to ten percent, yeah. right? So, what are you doing with the other ninety five percent to ninety percent, ninety to ninety five percent? You know, Substack does not uh, support advertising. They don't make it easy to even Yet. run advertising. They don't, um, have like an ad network or anything like this. Yeah. So you're basically creating a bunch of like, you know, lead gen content, right? I mean, you're not making money off that. Like I, the, that's a strange business model in my Yeah. View. Unless you're doing things like you, where you do have sold ads because you, you know, some people do sell ads directly or sponsor content directly. Sure. Um, but lots of, but it's not supported by, by Substack, and it's a pain in the ass to sell ads. I love selling ads. Get in touch with me if you want to buy that. <laughs> um, there's but, nothing Brian likes more than selling. I ads love it. I it? love, I love, I love all my partners equally. And, um, but it's a pain. It's not for like most people. And, um, you know, if they're not going to start an ad network in order to solve for that problem, the existing solutions are in my view, not great. And you're going to be left with how do you make money off that 90 to 95% of people who did not convert? Um, yeah. And if you, especially if you don't want to do things like sell merchandise and get into that whole world or sell events and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Look, they're experimenting with stuff where you can like set up like, you know, expert calls or whatever yeah. and stuff like this. And they're fine. That's, that's, but it's all incremental. Right. And it's not, it's not like as scalable as advertising. And so, so is everyone basically going to create a new, a bunch of people on Substack going to have to create a new puck, which I know you're involved in a way. Oh, yeah. Well, not really. Yeah. I mean, I love the people at puck. I mean, we experimented a little bit with some like licensing yeah. and stuff. I don't think it really doesn't totally make sense for their model, but I think if you look at puck, you know, when we think about like rebundling, you know, they're, they're trying to, to, have occupy that middle ground between like an individual and an institution exactly that's why i picked up specifically yeah because each one of those people there like if baritan de thurston or dylan byers set up a sub stack lots of people would subscribe to that both paid and free yeah but they decided there was more value in all of them working together sure but if you look at the evolution of that model they're starting to aggregate all of their their washington dc um, writers and content under a single sub brand. Like they're not going to have 40 different brands. That's no. insane. That's insane. You know, it, it becomes meaningless to the readers, doesn't it? Well, they're going to build off of like, you know, like for instance, Matt Bellany is uh, an amazing, like, you know, writer and reporter. I don't know how he produces as much content. There's so many of these people out there. Like, yeah, he needs Casey, to stop. He's making the rest of us Casey look bad. Newton like, and stuff like yeah, that. Casey like, really God. needs to stop. Oh, but like if you're looking at like what's happening in a puck, as it is saying, is um, you know, they're they're gonna re-aggregate around, you know, core franchises. And, and you know, it's a lot of it is like coming back to like the norm. Like we break everything totally apart, everyone is their own. But like ultimately, you know, what Matt uh Bellany has built with what I'm hearing is itself a brand under puck, right? And it, mm-hmm. it and they'll become a house of brands, I would predict, you know. And they're going to be in different like sectors. They'll have one that's, this is me just, this is my just outside. I have no inside knowledge of this. Um, You know, it makes sense to have these writers 
that are part of a sub brand or a franchise. Um, it just makes it easier to sell. It makes it easier uh, for the consumer. People can't keep track of 30 different sub brands. So I'm super excited for you and I to launch our new brand and rebundle for the new year together. I'm really excited for that. That's going to be great fun. Um, oh, yeah, I want to do that. <clears throat> right. Well, we'll, we'll I talk mean, after I, the I, show. Like, this is going to be but super I mean, that fun. was like what, like, I don't, like, like, for instance, even with what I'm doing, like, you know, I don't, uh, view like I, I get on calls with people who are like well with creators I'm like I'm not a creator I don't know what the hell you're talking about like I well actually let, let's YouTuber. end on that I, I want to end on that theme actually because there is a very interesting sort of blurred line isn't there now but thanks to things like Substack of yes. journalist creators Ugh. Ugh, are you working at me <laughs> I mean, I'm not, not ugh-ing you. I'm ugh-ing the idea of journalist creators. You don't think that's a thing? Come on, think... doesn't that, that must give you, you're British. You guys must roll your eyes at this. I mean, stuff. I roll my eyes at many things, <laughs> but I think I might roll my eyes at it, but I think that's the reality of what we're seeing in lots of ways. I don't know. I mean, I don't think, I think the, the solo quote unquote air quotes journalist creator is an incredibly niche phenomenon that will continue to be an incredibly niche phenomenon. Most thank you. I look forward most to most journalists no, I that I know do not want to be out there selling ads, hustling up like subscribers with like, you know, with Twitter threads and all this stuff like this. It just they don't they don't want it. And I more importantly, I don't think the market necessarily wants that i mean what they do want is and what i see they want is a more human form of, of media in, in which there's more of like a direct connection between you know the, the people who are really into the content and, and the person who's who's making it but i don't think that has to be a solo business enterprise um, no i think people do care about and i actually discussed this on last week last week's show uh, with Rachel Cunliffe, people do like kind of being connected to the journalists they like and having some kind of connection, whether that's at a big magazine or as a solo publisher. People do care about that stuff and like to know a writer's voice, I think. And, yeah. and also, I mean, that both metaphorically and literally with things like magazines producing podcasts and things like that. But why can't you just like, to me, like, it's like solo singers versus bands. We're going to see a lot more bands than we are solo acts. And by the way, most of the solo acts have a lot of people who are like, you know, with them behind the scenes and stuff. And you'll yeah. see that. I mean, that's a different model. Like, I mean, I think you see some of this, the, the solo people who, you know, look, they're going to be backed up by like their own like team and stuff like this. But mm. I think that there's a more compelling model in which it's a bunch of individuals gathering together to make music like a band go on i'm gonna push you slightly you said you weren't gonna okay. give me a time scale um, but if we're having this conversation in december 2023 what's the one real kind of substantive thing i you think we're going to have seen in the media industry i think we're going to be talking about generative ai and ai ethics and whether we're still going to have like a profession seriously you think it's not just going to be people putting like nice dali pictures up on their their no. posts just just to demonstrate they can do it are we are you talking literally about articles written by an yeah. ai 
Yeah. I mean, you look at what, no, like, you know... don't say stuff like that. That's really upsetting and terrifying. Chat that GPT, like, that just uh, came out the other no. day. I, I haven't, I don't I haven't like gotten it, in. Brian. I'm on, like, the wait list. But um, the stuff that, that, this, that these uh, tools are able to do already, if you play it forward, I mean... <laughs> This is going to be, this is going to change a lot of stuff. Brian, and... this doesn't make me happy. I feel the same about this as I feel about the Boston Dynamics robots that can open doors and climb, get stairs. This is yeah. how the planet ends. I'm well, not those okay are kind with of it. more, I mean, I think they're coming like, to kill us, Brian. Well, I think people have kind of like, I think there's been so much, like basically Silicon Valley, like, and I just use it as like an umbrella term sure. for, for technology, but you know, they haven't had a big home run in a, in a while now. And I think that's part of the reason why they've pivoted to the culture war stuff <laughs> because they don't have, they don't have like a breakthrough tech to like be, be selling to us. So they want to sell us on um, the culture. The cult- war stuff. The culture. But I think like, you know, in the background, AI turned out to be the next big thing. And like, there's been so many like, things that have been built the next big thing that haven't panned out that like we've sort of gotten to the point where we dismiss things out of hand that so is do you actually out of tech. do you actually think we're going to have like newspaper articles and online articles written by AI? i really want to sort of drill down into that yeah i mean i think like actually in doubt. the next 12 months yeah i i, I definitely like i mean oh goodness I, I already like you're going, I mean, like I remember my first job I didn't get in journalism was to like do, and it was, thank God it would have been terrifying. It was like Dow Jones newswire. So like do those, like you've got like 70 seconds to write this like earnings release and stuff like this. No, that sounds like, awful. So that sounds terrible. Already machines are doing that. And like it, when you look at like what chat GPT can do, it's, it's, it's so far advanced from that that it's hard to believe that these tools are not going to be used in the creation of news content. Um, and and my belief is in that kind of world, you're going to end up wanting to be like more human than you are, you know, because like just the just being able to like take a bunch of like data and information mm-hmm. and, and present it in a cogent manner is going to be done by machines. It, it will be, it, it's inevitable. It's hard not to play with these tools and just be like, okay, this is like the first version. Like this is the first version. This is the Michael Douglas, like uh, on the <laughs> beach with that massive cell phone in wall street version and we saw where it went with the phone. So I just... Oh, yeah. you, you think they're a big deal, phone, smartphones? You think that's changed a lot? <laughs> exactly. Um, um, well, you've uh, you've ended our conversation on a note that absolutely terrifies us and depresses me. So it thank shouldn't you. terrify us. Like, technology ne- rarely, <clears throat> rarely does it... But what wholesale... are all us writers going to do, Brian? If the well, computers I, I, will t- I will say this, like, it's kind of like comeuppance for, um, for us in the laptop class, because when automation and technology replaced whole swaths yeah. of blue collar workers, we were like, oh, well, invisible hand of the market. We need to retrain these people. You know, they should go into the service sector. It's like, then, then when they come for like the laptop class, we're like, hold on a second. This is not fair. 
it's not fair. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I actually think that's a very valid point that we, we're happy. I'm too for, grumpy to go into the service sector, so I got to figure out something else. I think, yeah, I don't like people enough. <laughs> um, I, I think it's, yeah, we're all happy with efficiency and progress as long as it doesn't take off. Exactly. We're Wrong. all hypocrites yeah. at the end yeah. of the day. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> well, Brian, thank you so much for yeah, kicking off for kicking off this little mini series that I want to do for the end of the year. We'll definitely have you back in 2023. Where can people keep up with you now? Uh, check out the rebooting if you have a chance. It's uh, the rebooting.substack.com. Um, and also, uh, uh, the podcast they do, um, one is called The Rebooting Show, and the other one is called People versus Algorithms. And on Twitters, if it still exists, where can people find you? Oh, B. Morrissey. At Although B. Morris. I don't tweet a lot. I don't do threads. So Shame. Sorry. I, I'm at Charlotte A. Henry on the Twitters. Uh, obviously, if you're listening to this show at theedition.substat.com, you know where to find me and the newsletter. You can also listen to the podcast in your favorite podcast app. Um, thank you all to everyone who's already subscribed and taken out paid subscriptions and things like that. There's also a blog that I'm continuing to update with little stories that maybe don't need to go in the newsletter, but are fun bits of media insight. And that's theedition.net. So thank you all. Thank you once again, Brian. And I'll see you next week.